Welcome to the Connect Raleigh podcast, where you hear the stories, the people, and the places that make Raleigh, North Carolina the best place to live. As one of the most connected people in town, real estate and networking expert Chuck Belden leverages his connections to introduce you to all the reasons why Raleigh is one of the fastest growing areas in the country. If you've lived in Raleigh for years or are thinking of moving here, this podcast is for you. It's local, it's authentic, and it's time to connect you with your host, Chuck Belden. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Connect Raleigh podcast. It's your boy Chuck. Super glad you're here. And I had a little microphone malfunction. So, um, you know, with my limited technical abilities and capabilities, um, I couldn't figure out how to make it work. So uh, here we are recording uh, the intro to today's episode in a slightly different way because you know what you got to do whatever whatever you can you got to do whatever you can right um glad to have you all back here listening checking out another episode of the podcast just reminding everybody why we're here you know i moved here moved to raleigh 2007 um when i moved here not the easiest to get um a feel for all that this area had to offer coming from another area um, just by, you know, without knowing anybody here. You know, you can come, you can drive around, you can try and get a feel for things, but without really having any insight or, you know, a tour guide, so to speak, or any connections, it was challenging. And so I've sort of made it my mission over the last 15, 16 years or so to make it easier for people to find their people, find their tribe, get connected, find their communities, you know that I've chosen to do that through real estate, through helping people buy and sell real estate. But it's so much bigger than that, really. You know, like I I hate answering that question. What do you do for work with the answer real estate? Because it's so much more than that. I really love helping connect people to their communities, you know, and part of that's with the house. But the bigger piece of that is through finding the right fit for them, finding the places that they're going to spend their time when they're not working, when they're not in their home, finding those people they want to hang out with. I love connecting people to others. I love their stories. I just, I don't know. I just, I just love linking people up, but you know what? And it's a little bit selfish. I got to be honest with you. There's, there's a selfish reason. I don't, I don't, (laughs) I don't think, I don't think there's fully selfless, acts out there. I think there's a little bit of selfish acts in everything we do. And with me, I get excited when I connect to other people. Um, I feel good about it and I enjoy it. And so the mission of this podcast is that it's, it's to connect. So it's to connect, you know, those of you that already live here in the triangle to some other awesome, cool, exciting things and people here in the area. So you want to stay. So you want to add more value to this area. So you want to help others fall in love with our area. And then for those of you that are looking for a resource to learn more about the area before you move here, if you're considering moving here, you're not quite sure, I want this to be an opportunity for you, an easier resource. Lean on me, lean on my network. We've got this podcast, 
We've got the networking group on LinkedIn called Connect Raleigh. We're on Meetup, Facebook, Instagram, all the places. But lean on me and let me help you. So today I get to introduce you to Brandon Baker. Brandon is the president of the uh, first T of the triangle. He's been doing that for 10 years or so. He, he, moved, to the, he moved to the area from Virginia. Um, and uh, first T, if you're, not, if you're not familiar with it, is a organization aimed to teach kids important and crucial life skills through golf. It does serve often an underserved community. Um, Brandon uh, kind of relates it to the Boy Scouts, but with golf. And uh, I think it's a great organization, not just because I love golf um, and all that golf, I think, can teach us, but just the work they're doing here in the Triangle. In Brandon's spare time, he loves, uh, of course, playing golf. He loves uh, the craft beer scene of our area. Wow. If you're if that's your thing, there, there are a few areas that can top what we've got going on here as far as craft breweries. Um, and uh, he's got some furry family members he loves spending some time with. But Brandon, I uh, had a great conversation with him. It was really a lot of fun. Um, I'm excited to bring it to you. After the episode, um, definitely connect with him. You can find him on Instagram at BakerBL, and you can find uh, the First T Triangle at Instagram and Facebook at First T Triangle. They're also on LinkedIn. But check them out. Give this episode a listen. Go check out some of Brandon's favorite places and uh, get a feel for the Triangle and for Raleigh and for uh, all the reasons why he loves it. So uh, thanks for being here. I'm excited to bring you this episode and uh, leave me your feedback. Let me know what you think. Thanks. All right, Brandon Baker, welcome to the podcast. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. How are you today? I'm good. I appreciate you being here. You know, um, our mutual friend, Matt Furlow, was the one who uh, hooked up the conversation. So um, super grateful for Matt and uh, excited to talk to you a little bit more about, you know, you and and why you call the Triangle home. But really, I want to jump into like First T. Like you've been the president of the First T organization here locally for a number of years. Yeah. Uh, 10 years. It's, it's hard to believe I'm that old, but yeah, it's, it's been a decade already. Time flies. That's awesome. Like, you know, so, you know, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about what first T is. I mean, I think I know, but I'd love to have you tell us what, what's first T triangle all about. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting. So uh, like I said, I've been doing this job for a decade, been with first T for 15 years. And, um, I have this terrible habit of getting really deep into what First Tee does because I'm so passionate about it. I, I think most nonprofit people are passionate about what they do. Um, so I kind of boil it down to this as a starting place. It's like at a 100,000 foot level, everybody knows the Boy Scouts. So I think yeah. First Tee is the Boy Scouts, except for we use golf to teach kids life skills and provide mentors, just like Boy Scouts uses outdoors and pitching tents and earning badges and that kind of stuff. So at its most basic form, we use golf as a way to teach life skills, provide mentorship, um, and opportunities to play and learn about the game of golf um, to all kids, but particularly kids who wouldn't have access to those kind of resources otherwise. Man, and there are an abundance of life skills you can learn on the golf course. I'm thinking of all yes. the ones I get regularly. <laughs> My goodness. It is a very humbling game to say the least. No doubt. Holy smokes. I mean, you can wrap everything in there. Hard work, humility, mental toughness, you know, physical strength, kindness, <laughs> following right. rules is everything. It's amazing. I think perseverance, I did not, um, is always my favorite thing. And it's only because I think it makes the most sense with this game because it is so hard. And no matter how good you get, 
you know, we watched the Masters last weekend and I watched and I forget who the golfer was, but you're watching and they blow it in the trees right and then they cold top it. And these are PGA professionals, not even just me and you playing our weekend game or whatever. And so um, you need to have perseverance. And so that's always my favorite one to talk about in terms of life skills or, or values that we teach at First Tee because it, it resonates with everybody because we all hit bad shots, just like we all have bad days in the office. Um uh, and learning how to overcome that and be better for it is, is kind of the core of what we're doing. Yeah. You know, I'm, as you're saying that I'm thinking about, uh, Ram on, on one four putting one and then winning the masters. Uh, exactly that. Yeah. Or hitting the tree on 18 when he needed just to protect his, you know, on yeah, Sunday that's afternoon, right. we just need to protect his lead. What do you do when you have to hit a provisional when you only had a three shot lead and you just thought you gave two of them away? Oh my goodness. Yeah. What an amazing game. Have you played golf your whole life or is what, how's, what's, how's golf been involved in your life? God, what a great, that's, that's a great starting place for how I even got in this job to begin with. So, um, I grew up pretty transient, um, lifestyle golf was never accessible to me. Like a lot of the kids we work with, um, lived in a lot of different communities and a lot of different kinds of housing and situations. And so like golf was the furthest thing from our mind, but like a lot of kids in um, lower, lower socioeconomic neighborhoods, I played a lot of football, basketball, and soccer. Those were the three sports I played. Um, I'm six, four, I'm a big guy. Like I don't look like a soccer player, but probably the thing I enjoyed the most of all three of those sports um, played those all the way through high school. Uh, and then got to college at VCU downtown Richmond, my freshman year, 2004. This was definitely dating myself. Now was a while ago. Um, didn't know the first thing about golf, but got paired up with a roommate who is now, um, who was pas very passionate about golf and is now the head golf professional at Country Club of Virginia uh, in Richmond. And so, which is really nice, high-end private club. And so our first year, Brian is his name. Brian decides he's going to teach me how to play golf because why not? Um, so we hop on our bikes and we bike to the nearest driving range in downtown, which is the first tee of Richmond's facility. I did. I took me years to figure out what the first tee actually was, but to me, it was a place where I can go chip and putt for free and have accessible golf. And we you know, we met quarters on putts as he was teaching me. And if, when we can afford a bucket of balls, we split a bucket of balls. But otherwise, we would just go take advantage of their you know putting green and chipping green and enjoy it and have fun. And um, he'd teach me how to play. And I, and I fell in love with the game and it pretty quickly replaced every other sport. And so now, now I'm a golfer, a 20 year veteran of the golf game. I'm still working at it every single day, but um, blind luck. My roommate was a golfer and I learned to play golf at the first tees facility in downtown Richmond and having no clue that what five or six years later, I ended up working for first tee and making a career out of it. Wow. That that's a, that is a great story and a great connection. So first tee, is it a is it a national organization, international? How how big is the organization itself? Uh, international. We have 160-ish. It, it fluctuates from time to time, but call it 160 um, chapters around the world. Most of those, about 150, are here in the United States. Um, and uh, we've got, I think, six or eight currently um, internationally. Uh, Canada, Mexico, Puerto Rico, um, London, UK, somewhere. A uh, handful of international. So uh, First Tee was kind of founded by a bunch of different folks. Um, Augusta, we were just talking about the Masters, uh, Augusta National Golf Club, the LPGA, the USGA, the PGA of America, the PGA Tour, um, all kind of originally back in 97 to help grow the game of golf. Um, if you remember back in 96 was the Masters of Tiger 1 in 96, and they made the, putt on, or made the chip on 16, and we see that image a million times yeah. over and over and over yeah. again, the Nike logo rolling into the hole. Uh, I don't know that like Tiger Woods is not involved with First Tee, but it, to me, it's not a happy accident that First Tee was founded a year after um, a guy like Tiger burst on the seat and, and wins the Masters. Um, and so started in, back in 97 nationally out of St. Augustine, Florida, um, as a way to um, bring golf to underserved communities, basically, was kind of the or underrepresented communities was kind of the deal. Um, 
a couple of years into it pretty quickly evolved out of being this accessible golf program and really into this youth development character education mentoring program that we have today is like we talked about at the start is um, you know, golf can teach us so many things and we all know that who play the game and and then you find out pretty easily man if you start to kind of really create a curriculum around that that's age appropriate this game can teach people so many things and so that's kind of where first tee originated from originally and so we've been 2001 we launched the life skills curriculum as we know it today and so that is now 22 years old first he's 25 years old um what was that curriculum so what is that uh, it's our life skills education life curriculum skills. so it's kind okay. of the core of what we do um self-management skills interpersonal skills goal setting and resiliency skills are kind of the core of what first he teaches um through key commitments through core values through goal setting and we talked about perseverance being a value and so all these things that golf can teach us we formulated it there's like a 300 page book sitting on my bookshelf over here that is um essentially how we take all the cool things that golf is and turn it into this age-based program that we can deliver to kids in a way that they're cognitively able to understand all around the game that we enjoy and hopefully they get a little better at golf along the way oh that's great so who are you is it volunteer driven who are your teachers um, mostly volunteer driven so we are um 10 11 full-time employees right now uh, so decent sized nonprofit from a full-time staffing standpoint um, have a handful of part-time seasonal coaches who help us kind of run different sites around the triangle. Um, we have 49, I think is the number right now, Wake County school teachers who work for us after school, on school mm -hmm. sites, delivering uh, programs at elementary schools, which is amazing. Um, they're such gifted professionals. It's nice to be able to partner with them. Um, and so all that to say is, you know, we're 60, 65 plus total people um, in terms of part-time seasonal paid employees, but we're still over 200 volunteers a year. And so even with all of those folks, most of the work is still happening thanks to the generosity of people willing to roll up their sleeves and come out and hang out and meet some cool kids once a week for a couple hours. Have you found that, uh, the triangle has been, you know, welcoming and warm and is supportive or no? <laughs> <laughs> I've been here 13 years. Uh, this is Connect Raleigh, right? I think I'm that, supposed to say yes to that question. You can say whatever you want, man. I'm, I, they're, they're, Raleigh doesn't fund me. <laughs> no, I, that's right. Um, it, it funds all of us. They, that's right. uh, the city's awesome. Uh, I will tell you that as a growing profession, I moved here in 2010, 13 years ago, like two weeks ago. It was 13 years. Uh, ran our programs for three years and I've had this job for a decade. Um I started in the workforce in 08, which was a great time to kind of start for a professional career. If we can all remember back to that, that. that um, I got my real estate license, September of 08. Yeah. I can that. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yep. <laughs> to the worst economy in a, in a generation right. or two. That's right. Um, so I started, I took my first job at first T. I'll get back to the Raleigh thing. Uh, first job at first T in Chattanooga, Tennessee, slight unseen, $10 an hour, no benefits with a master's degree. But in 2008, that was the job I had, right? And that was the only one I had. And I took mm -hmm. it and I fell in love with the whole thing ever since. Um, so Chattanooga, 08, very small town, small chapter. Um, you know, it's 200,000 people there or so, but it felt very small town to me. It was really hard to find as a young professional in that market. Um, any kind of friends or the golf community or definitely not a podcast in 08, right? It was really hard. And that was before the, you know, it was still the Facebook, I think, or really close around that time. Yeah. It's changed. And so that kind of, again, aging ourselves here. Um, so it's hard. Like the social norms that existed today just didn't exist that, that long ago, um, or even when I moved here. So I left there after a little bit and I went back to Baltimore, where I'm originally from, the Baltimore area, for a while and worked for YMCA and a first T program there for about a year. And that was all about nine. Um, and then when I moved here in 2010, I mean, within like two months, I had found 
friends and a regular golf game and got to know all of our volunteers and they didn't want to just give their time or give their money they really wanted to engage with you and i kind of learned what i think the, the good southern charm is right and so it's been such a cool thing for me to see i mean truly just as we've grown over the last 13 years sure like technology helps some of those things but for me like i just vividly remember like the stops i had made prior to being in raleigh just felt like stops right just places on the path um yeah, I had to find a way to entertain myself because I was young, single, living alone, and there was not a lot of opportunity to engage otherwise. Um, and man, within like a couple months here, I realized Raleigh was home. And so I've been here 13 years and it's and it's all driven. Sure, it's a beautiful place to live and read whatever newspaper you want. We're one of the coolest places in America to be, no matter what the metrics it, metric is. But the reality is, is it's always going to be about the people. Because there's a smiling face on every corner. And if, when I walk down the hallway in our office, somebody always says hello. Or when I walk to a golf club, I'm always welcomed. Or I go into a restaurant, everybody's always really nice. Um, no matter where you go around here, man, people are just so generous and willing to care about one another. And I think that's what makes any good community. Yeah, you know, we share a lot of similarities there. You know, first, um, I had a short stop in Baltimore. So I was in Baltimore oh. for, um, let's see, 2005 to 2007. Okay. And then we barely and, missed each other. Yeah, and then I moved here and... Um, and, and, and that was one of the things I noticed too. Like I, I was in Colorado before Baltimore. I grew up in Northern New York. And so every place I had gone, like it felt temporary. I was like, Oh, I'll be here for a little while. And then when I got here, it all of a sudden something clicked and it kind of changed that I could see myself living here longer term. And now it's been 15 years or whatever it's been. So I, I can totally relate to that. And what I find is, you know, being an entrepreneur and most of my network is other entrepreneurs. Um, it's such a collaborative area. It's such a supportive group. It's not like, you know, you like you take my profession, for example, like in, in my firm, you know, there's 80 or 90 other real estate agents that, you know, could have this mentality of you against me kind of a thing where really, and I don't think it's just our firm, although we might be a little bit different. It, we're all coming together to, to help each other out, to help the community, to bring it together. And I noticed that in so many other areas, it seems like a very supportive community focused and as wide as we are, like the triangle is a big area. Like it's a big space. It's not just Raleigh. It's Durham. It's Chapel Hill. It's Cary, Apex, Fuquay, Wendell, Nightdale. And like it, I get that vibe in so many places I go. I, I, I want one of my best friends in the whole universe is also a real estate agent. Um, and they um, convinced me to play in a kick. This is a just a relevant story, but I think it's going to back up what you say. So they convinced me to play on a kickball team. And I won't say who they are or where they work for or whatever. It's not my business to share. And um, I show up to this kickball thing and it's full of real estate agents. And like, I'm one of the few people who doesn't sell a real estate for a living. And this was, I mean, this is probably my first or second year here. Right? It's been a long time. And I remember like thinking, and this is before I kind of really got to understand the culture fully. It's like, I couldn't imagine like spending this much time with people I'm competing against every single day to right. close deals and make money and do whatever. And they all loved each other and supported each other and they loved to see each other do all it. It taught me so much about, and I don't even know if they know this story, but it taught me so much about like your line of work or just, but just people down here in general. Like it's a, like we can all have healthy, healthy competition with one another. And it truly has helped me in my job because I, I think, you know, particularly as a younger guy and you're trying to grow a business and support this nonprofit and serve more kids and raise more money and buy more volunteers and all that stuff. And, and there was some period of time where I probably would have been really isolated in that and just kind of really been all about it. And then what I think I learned in that silly little sports experience, that's why sports are such a good life skills tool, right? I learned one myself. Um, 
is man, it's totally okay. Like we've got to go to work and we're all going to compete for business and whatever that business is, whether it's fundraising and it's not kids because there's so many kids we can't help. I don't, I don't worry about that. There's always opportunity to, to help this community be a better place, but there's only so many dollars and people's time to do it with. Right. Um, but they taught me it's totally okay to like be friends and be close to people who, because there's so much you guys can share together and work together to really kind of collectively make a better impact. Right? Yeah, certainly. And it was, it was like kickball taught me that. I, you know, like, and again, I won't say the firm or who it was or who else was on the team, but um, love, they're all lovely people. And I'm still friends with several of them to this today, uh, to this day. But more importantly, is I, I, it taught me a lesson professionally and personally about how cool Raleigh is as a town to be in because everybody kind of feels that same way. Um, but also just as I evolve in my professional career, that will help it's okay to, um, at the end of the day, still shake hands and make friends and like, yeah. we all, we've all got a job to do and that's okay. And, you know, well, also just in, for me, you know, talking life skills here, one of the best life skills I've learned along the way is to have a, an abundance mindset to not think in lack, to not get, be so fearful that, you know, there's only so many people buying a house this year that I've got to get them all right. There's, 8 billion people on this planet. Now they don't all live in the triangle, but there are, might plenty, if we keep going, they may, I mean, the way things are going, you're right. We better, we better be careful. Let's not, let's not, let's not make this podcast too good. That's right. <laughs> but you know, there's so many people out there that needs help. There's so many children out there that can be still haven't been exposed to golf. There's so many, there's so much out there. And if we shrink our mindset to have a fear-based mindset, then we do have this lack mentality and our competition then becomes it comes from a different place. Like I can be competitive with my colleagues as long as like we're, we're still doing it in this healthy way. Right. And this right. rising tide rises all boats things, yeah. you know, like I think that spans across every industry or at least could. And if we, I think if we approach things that way, we'll have a much more supportive and engaged community that'll draw more people and it'll just keep getting better and better. Yeah. Well, I think to your point and kind of how we started this topic is I think we see it here, right? I think the triangle is to ensure Raleigh, but the triangle, the greater triangle and, we've got programs in kind of all the major areas and um, it's just i'm so thankful that whether we're whether it's people who support us with their time or their dollars or whatever or it's other nonprofits we collaborate with um prior to learning these lessons and really kind of getting to this place and, and understanding the area and how it worked it's like i really wouldn't imagine a universe where like first he would collaborate with other nonprofits why would we do that right it's kind of a you don't know what you don't know um and pretty quickly learned that at least in this area and i think in so many others across our industry at least is um you, the collaboration is actually what makes this such an awesome place to be and, uh, and we can work with so many different partners and they can bring something good to the table and we can bring something good to the table and nobody's really looking for credit because ultimately we're all just trying to make the world a better place right yeah. so whether you're first t or the ymca or the boys and girls club or communities and schools or the boy scouts or girl scouts or whoever we literally work with all of them because why not because they mm -hmm. do really cool stuff and we do really cool stuff and why wouldn't we want to combine our forces from time to time to try to help raise those children up even better it does take the whole community to raise a child right I mean, that's the old saying and that's just as true today as it was 20 years ago yeah it takes a village what's your um what's your biggest challenge you're facing right now oh um i think like all of us the uncertainty in the market right now has been you know it's been a challenging year for um i think just the uncertainty almost it reminds me a little bit of um second third fourth quarter of 2020 right where things are kind of okay like you kind of 
that we read in the news every day. And, you know, I read the news and I hear job reports and interest rates are rising and you see this stuff. It's, and then you go out to dinner or you go out somewhere and you still see plenty of people, you know, at the mall or at the restaurant or whatever you do yeah. just you know, with your disposable income. Um, and I'm, you know, a little bit of cognitive dissonance between those two things, right? What is the reality? But the truth is, um, the uncertainty for us is just, I think it's been a good year and we're so thankful for everybody's support, but it's a, a lot of, I think, corporations and individuals, everybody's just trying to figure out what the future looks like, right? Yeah, because yeah. of where we are in this interest rate environment. Where so we are, are they pulling back a little bit on their on their giving right now? Or do you just think that may be happening? Um, I think it's, I think it's, it may be happening. It's yeah. like our biggest challenge is the uncertainty, not yeah. the not that it's actually happening. I mean, every conversation is a little different in every business or whoever's a little different. Um, and as a nonprofit, like I think I'm contractually obligated to say the fundraising is our hardest thing ever, right? Because it mm -hmm. is. Um, so I think for, I got to answer that question in two ways. One is that it's just the uncertainty of the market and how that impacts people's capacity to give or their willingness to give so freely. Um, just because we don't know, we don't know again, kind of like we did a couple of years ago. Um, but overall, we're, we're, I'm still very thankful for we're having a good year already, and we've got a lot of exciting things happening um, with the kind of the groundbreaking recently, and we're kind of starting instruction on our new learning center project soon, which is awesome. Uh, and so there's a lot of really good momentum for us as a personal organization, really kind of seeing some of that stuff still come to fruition. But uh, the uncertainty, you know, the reading yeah. the headlines and reading the paper every week and reading the business journal and trying to just figure out exactly you know, not so much for 2023, but as a business leader, my job's really be thinking about, you know, the 24, 36 month stretch, not the, not the quarter right ahead of me necessarily. Yeah, um, absolutely. Okay. So I get a little scared about that. The other thing I'll say, um, and I'll be curious, your thoughts and kind of your line of work is, um, you know, the human capital market has changed so much. We talked about people are so willing to give time and space, but the world's changed in 2019 and people's work-life balance has changed and expectations have changed and just schedule has changed. And uh, you know, we never had an issue pre-COVID with getting volunteers for our programs because you'd work till 5 or 5.30 and then you'd show up to a first tee program and you'd volunteer and then you'd go home for the day. And that was kind of everybody's, whether it was first tee or whatever, that was what people did, right? You work till five and then you figured it out. But in this new world we live in, there's so much more flexibility and remote work and work from home and whatever. As we're just now, I think, you know, 2023, getting back to our pre-COVID volunteer numbers, mm. just because it's taken longer to figure out how we, people still want to help, but it's a lot harder to help if you've already gone home for three hours and walked your dogs and went to your kid's soccer practice or whatever. And now you're going to come back out to come to first team. Um, totally okay. I think we've had, just had to learn how to, position our programs in a way that kind of meet people where they are from a lifestyle standpoint nowadays. And so that's been a, that's been kind of a fun challenge, right? And I don't have the solution necessarily because I think everybody's struggling with it, whether it's volunteers or employees or whatever, is we're all still just trying to figure out exactly what this, you know, I'd say post-COVID world, because I'm not sure post-COVID is a thing, but yeah, I'm not sure there's not either. I'm just not sure I'm smart enough to be the person to make that determination. Um, so I was just trying to figure out like what this world looks like in a New universe that we live in. It's never going to be you know, new normal, right? That's kind of that was some language for a while. Yeah, that's still how I feel about it a little bit. Is every day I wake up and I'm still trying to figure out exactly how we leverage our resources, human capital, financial capital, whatever, to the most efficient, best way possible, so that we can just go change the change hmm. the world. That's an, that's yeah, that's an interesting take. I would have thought that the way things are now that it would be much easier because of the time freedom and flexibility that I think many people have created my, me being one of them. I've redone my whole, the way I live and I've freed up more time 
to do things like that, to volunteer and be in places. But I could see how you would say it like, yeah, if you're, if you're nine to five now, isn't nine to five anymore. And your routine was five, five o'clock ends, you get in your car and you go do the next thing. And now it's all kind of thrown in the mix. I get it. Yeah. It's, it's been interesting. It's like, and I don't think it's, as I think we like the interest is still there to volunteer. We still like, we look at just volume of inquiries are similar to what they've always been, which is awesome. Um, it's just, how do we like, yeah, we can't really run programs till school is out, right? So we're always going to be a little bit limited on how we, but we, you know, we went from starting programs at six. Like now we start programs as early as like 4.30 sometimes. Like, is it like, we can, we can catch people right. And so we just had to make adjustments. And so that's been kind of fun, the fun learning curve for us, but also the challenges. How do we, from a human capital standpoint, just adjust what we do to best serve our community? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we had to, re- we, I mean, similar, similarly, we had to relearn this whole thing because we decided to homeschool during all of this. So, you know, that, that, that structured 8am to 3pm or whatever the school hours were at the time, like that, that's gone out the window now. So like Mm -hmm. we had to relearn a whole way of living now. And so um, both my wife and I and our children, and and that's what we're figuring out too. So now that I think about it, yeah, I can see how that would be a bigger challenge than maybe, maybe planned for. Well, and we thought uh, you'll get a kick out of this is, and this was everybody's, we thought like in 2021, it was truly just still uncertainty about the future, right? We were still a little in a different place then. And so volunteerism was way down. We just were sure it was anecdotally because people were still, excuse me, a little uncertain about um, getting back out and doing certain things, which is it's fine. Uh, and, then, and it lingered a little longer than we expected. And then we had to kind of realize that, hey, man, with survey work and all the things you need to kind of data collect, but um, hey, we actually need to rethink how we do things because we can't survive without volunteers. Truly, right? volunteers are so integral to what we do. No different than people who donate money. No different to our employees. No different to our board of directors. Help kind of set strategy and direction. Everybody's equally important. And if you pull one of those four things out, that's a major issue for us. Mm-hmm. And in this case, it might have been volunteers. And so we really had to be proactive about how we design programs to best engage folks for the future. Where so I've 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 got one. I, I have very little. Um, firsthand experience knowledge with first tea. I only have one. I mean, I know Matt and I actually had a client appreciation event at the Leesville road oh, cool. um, facility back in March of last year. I invited, okay. um, I invited my, my clients, my top referrers, my prospects, um, people closest to me to come up. And uh, we had the range for a couple hours. I had some food trucks out there. We had a great event. It was super fun. And the feedback That's on awesome. it was amazing. But that facility is undergoing some changes, right? Like at the time you guys were talking about expanding and actually coming up with a, a short course, I think. Could, what's yeah. going on with that now? No, great question. So we um, we started this project in 2018, um, essentially setting out to have a permanent home for our first two kids. Um, bought the Lisa Road property in January 2020, really good timing to get in the golf space, kind of eight weeks before COVID. And that's a longer story for a different day, but a lot of lessons to learn through that. Um, and so we thought we were going to start construction summer of 2020 and kind of just immediately purchase a property and do a renovation. Um, we lost a good two years of that just as a function of, you know, there was no capital fundraising really in 2020 because of everything that was going on. Our programs changed substantially. Um, Anyway, long story short, we're finally back to where we thought we were going to be. The facility is now closed. Now uh, we close at the end of 2022, um, and we are starting this month um, on a essentially what amounts to a four and a half million dollar renovation. Um, we're building a new 5,000 square foot learning center. Um, so the second floor will have our staff offices. So we'll be relocating out there, which is great. Uh, the In first the same spot have, that it was, right there. 
it's uh, moving to the other side of the parking lot. Okay. Um, so kind of a cool, if you think about, um, here's some city of Raleigh trivia for you. One day there may be an exit that exists between Leesville Road and Glenwood Avenue on 540. Exit four and exit seven. There may eventually be an exit that exists between those two based on how many people have moved to that part of the okay, town. Yeah. Um, it's in the 2035 transportation plan. Um, I don't know if it'll ever happen or not, but it's in the plan. And so when we were looking at renovations, um, if you kind of zoomed out on that property on a map, you'd see how close it really is to 540. And so the transportation plan kind of calls for that road to really kind of run right through our driving range as it currently oh. exists. <laughs> And so we're, we're doing this renovation a lot because it needs it. It's not ever been renovated at all. And, and, but also a lot to kind of move off of that land that may potentially be impacted by future road construction. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the whole range is shifting up like 75 yards east, kind of towards the fire station next door. Uh, we're going to be kind of right up against the fire station, which is kind of cool. Um, and so we'll put a new learning center on that side of the building. Uh, the first floor will have a multi-purpose room. We'll have two indoor-outdoor simulator bays that we'll use for first tee yet for public. We'll be able to reserve them and do that kind of stuff too, which is cool. Um, TrackMan or some similar kind of technology will be a part of that, which is neat. Nice. Um, where, the, where the existing barn and building are now is where our new maintenance facility is going to go. Okay. Um, so those are kind of the two big structures. We're building an outdoor pavilion. So that tent that, that you guys had your event under is going to be replaced by a permanent outdoor pavilion okay. so that we can host events like yours, which um, I heard it went really well. So I'm glad you yeah. got to say that. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then kind of behind the range, there will be a 25,000 square foot putting green, which is a lot of square feet. Um, it's so big that I just learned from our irrigation folks last week that we have to put a sprinkler in the middle of it because the sprinkler heads won't reach all the wow, way to the center from the outside. So I, I we're a little ambitious on the size of the putting green, but, um, and we're excited about that to kind of do, if you think about um, the cradle and thistle dew down at Pinehurst, really trying to capture some of that thing. Uh, Gil Hans, who designed all that, is donating all of his time to design this project, which is super neat. Um, yeah. He's one of the most gifted golf course architects in the world and has been so much fun to learn from through this process. Um, and then the golf course you mentioned, so the rest of the property, there's an acre and a half pond, um, and then we're going to build a golf uh, par three golf course around that pond. Um, number of holes to be determined. We, we expect and hope it's going to be nine holes. We're still working through uh, final design of that phase. And so um, everything's going to open hopefully by the end of this year or not very beginning of 2024, wow. um, except for the golf course. And our hope is to have the golf course open into kind of late fall of 2024 or spring of 25. So um, it's coming. So we're kind of changing that old range into quite the, what well, we hope is going to be the coolest non-traditional golf facility in the region, right? We want, um, we want people to be excited about the game and want, and we want the community to come out and take advantage of it. And we want our first tee kids to have a really cool place that they can be proud to call their home and they can have a safe haven space to hang out that, um, you know, that has all the resources they need to feel safe and not have to be worried about where they are in the afternoons. So I, I love that. And this might be um, a not smart question, but is, is the focus only on children or is this, will with this new facility cater to other folks as well? Great question. Um, so first T is a youth development program, right? Um, we, in, me internally, and, and Matt by extension and our whole team, um, have really kind of evolved as we started this project. And it really truly started as a, we're going to build this facility to have a place for our kids. And what we've kind of seen happen is, you know, Wilmar closed and 401 Park Golf closed. And I mean, every time we blink, I feel like another golf course is going away. And so then it has kind of evolved into this we may have a place locally where we really need to be just as much about from a facility standpoint, just as much about 
providing affordable and accessible golf opportunities to the golfing public as we are about doing it for our kids. And so we're working kind of separate things is on the first side, we're still doing all the things that we want to do to impact kids and change lives. And, and that's what we've raised the capital dollars for to do that project. But then there's kind of the secondary, um, well, you know, so the tri golf kind of brand, right. And so we're kind of really now that we're closed and rethinking the whole thing, um, really thinking about how we use the tri golf brand as a way to drive general community engagement. Yeah. More events like what you did working with the senior uh, centers around the area, working with local churches, helping people who've never played golf, learn how to play golf, adults and seniors and underrepresented groups otherwise. And so we're kind of working these parallel tracks now where uh, first he's going to continue to change lives and use this facility to do that in such a new and exciting way. But at the same time, we have such, it'd be such a missed opportunity to not really work just as hard to do the same thing for the community otherwise. Yeah. It seems, I mean, seems like a great idea to just the the snowball effect of everything you know you keep the community engaged and you keep you know adults engaged that maybe have children or will one day have children and, and all that you know the adults maybe are paying for lessons that are funding youth programs i mean there's so much that can happen with that no oh, absolutely and, I, and, I, and that's part of the deal too right it's like mm-hmm. uh, selfishly from a first t standpoint is if we drive more community engagement from adults then we're going to drive more revenue or we're going to drive more brand awareness which might lead to more donations or more people want yeah. to volunteer to coach our programs or whatever it may be right more equipments of the more donations of equipment so that we can give kids clubs or truly whatever it is but people may not know we're a thing so it's a little selfish as sure from a first East everything is yeah everything's got to be a little bit selfish i guess but doing it for the adults and trying to engage the larger public and community around this really neat concept in and of itself is a good thing for the game of golf and the future of the game and the sport and then selfishly if some percentage of those people learn get to learn more about first team the life-changing work we're doing with kids and want to be a part of that along the way great but at minimum the revenue they generate by coming and hitting balls is going to go to help us run more programs and help more kids and even that in and of itself helps right well yeah you know i mean i i would i hope that most of us or all of us would love to donate our time and resources and money and energy um just willingly but not everybody does. Right. But if That's like, you good. can also feel good, like, Hey, I'm going to go hit a bucket of balls, but I'm also mm-hmm. doing good by that. <laughs> well, you know, so funny. It's like, we talk about, uh, we were just having a meeting last week about that exact thing is how do we, I wish everybody hundred percent of humans in the universe had a philanthropic heart. Like that's not the reality, right? Some people are more philanthropic than others. That's, and that's totally okay. Everybody's allowed to make personal choices. And so how, but how do we passively let that person who may not want to volunteer or even really care still get to feel good about buying that bucket of balls or reserving their hour in the simulator or whatever they do kind of at our facility, not in their face with it. Hey, did you know that your all your proceeds go support these programs? Like, I'm not sure that's exactly what we're going for, but we were talking about that because that exact thing is how do we help somebody who maybe isn't otherwise philanthropic still get to feel good about coming out to our facility and hanging yeah. out and still yeah. be excited to see the kids running around and doing their thing and being a part of the programs and, and really, yeah, how do we passively connect those dots for folks or actively do it where there's opportunities to do so? You know, I mean, not to just keep beating this thing here, but like you put two things being equal and all, you know, all the, all other capacities and say, you know, choose which one of these you want to do. And one is just the experience and one is the experience, but the byproduct of it is you're helping other people or you're doing good by it and helping kids like, uh, yeah, I'll take that one. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't consider myself like we're not, you know, we're not, we're a nonprofit. We're not a corporation, but there's like this, this social, this corporate social good thing that exists. Right. And how do we make, how do we help people feel that? 
that mm-hmm. by help by by just working on your golf game, you were helping change the world. Yes. Maybe not as actively as you tell are my wife that your time or <laughs> I will tell your wife you Chuck has to come hit balls at, at the new tri golf facility seven days a week because he's helping change the world because I am saving the world. And then buying seven buckets of balls a week in the process. And so that I'm very thankful yes. <laughs> This is the smartest plan I've ever heard in my whole entire life. <laughs> and I mean I'm going to I'm going to volunteer at the range. I gotta save the kids. <laughs> <laughs> doing it for the kids. So it's who are kids. the kids that we're helping? So tell me more about that. So who 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 are the children that are benefiting from this? Yeah. Um, so it kind of started with first he's open for everybody. I think I should like should say that. But I will tell you, like, we are very intentional about um really trying to create opportunities for kids who wouldn't have access to good mentors, the game of golf, um a safe place to hang out in the afternoon, a snack if they need it whatever um so we do we're kind of open to everybody but we really do a lot of program design around trying to support low to moderate income families um, and so 50 i think there was like 53 percent of our kids receive financial aid to participate which means they're not paying anything to be a part of any program we run uh, whether they're golf clinics or life skills classes or tournaments or whatever um and even the ones who are paying are you know we're, we're trying to the accessibility thing we're not charging retail which you might go pay for a golf lesson right i think we're we're well less than a hundred bucks for a whole season of first tee right now, which is pretty good. And I think even for a week at camp, it's still only like 129 bucks, um, which is pretty good for an entire week at camp. Yeah. So, um, so even those who pay are paying what we consider subsidized, which is subsidized by donor funds, which is awesome. Um, but then 53% of our kids kind of represent that low to moderate income uh, community throughout the triangle where we're really just trying to help kind of reach a hand out to those kids and use the game that we know is so cool, all that stuff we've already talked about and really kind of, give somebody an opportunity to not learn about that. Um, so generally, that's what our kids look like at a very high level. Uh, we're just shy of 40% female, something I'm really proud of. Yeah. Um, as we think about, um, I think golf has a lot of stigmas, right? And so I think read between the lines on some of that, but also we've been pretty straightforward about like community engagement, how we grow the game. Like we want, we want to work with more females because females are underrepresented in golf. And we want to work with more people of color because people of color are underrepresented in the game of golf. Yeah. You mean um, reading so, between the lines, it's mostly rich white guys is what you mean. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All rich white guys who yeah. are at private clubs and there are a lot of our donors and I'm thankful that they <laughs> yeah, want to help love us like, change the, right, <laughs> I love them too. It's great. Yep. Uh, but golf has a lot of, I mean, like it's a gym. Yeah. It's a, 500 year old sport or whatever, right? It's kind of, and it earned some reputation. Some reputations are earned, honestly. Yeah. And that is yeah. one of them, right? I um, get it. And so part, you know, so part of what we want to do is really kind of change that culture. And so um, 30, I think we we're 38% female last year, striving to be over 40. Like that's always kind of our benchmark threshold. We want to get there. And some years we do, and some years we don't, but we're always pretty close. Um, we were 51% non Caucasian. I mean, most of that is um, African American or Latino uh, families, which is awesome. Um, Again, back to we want to really try to drive engagement around. You know, and sometimes when I say like those who wouldn't think about the game otherwise doesn't necessarily just mean they can't afford it. Yeah. It just might mean like just like me, I grew up very, you know, hey, I look like an old white guy now, so I must play golf. But at some point in time, I, grew, I kind of started with my background. I grew up very transient. We lived in and out of shelters and cars and hotels and motels or whatever right i mean like we just i spent all the way through middle school not knowing where i was sleeping from one day to the next like golf wow. was certainly not something for me like it was never yeah. on my radar right? i was yeah. just trying to figure out you know i played the sports the other kids you know in the parking lot played or whatever but that was not you know um, and so when we talk like underrepresented sometimes underrepresented truly really is just like it's not part of your culture yeah. or something that you routinely think about and so how do we help you realize that like if you are interested this is absolutely a place you are supposed to be 
I think that's great. And it's, you know, that it's a great way to grow the game. I'm really, I love it. I, um, I hate it also, <laughs> but I'm very, um, interested in what, what you guys, the work that you're doing there. And so I love it. And my kids now are, uh, my son is six. My daughter is nine. My daughter is showing more interest in golf than my son at the time, but I, I really want to get him. I hope to get him engaged. Like, again, I'm going to let him make his own decisions along the way. And I don't want to force him to anything. Although I'm really, really sort of <laughs> do want to force him into golf, but I, I'm not doing it yet. But like for, for young people, well, one, how, how, how young uh, do you start and how do you engage the younger kids that maybe um, aren't, are they, they might not only be there for golf. Right. right question. Um, yeah, sure. Absolutely. So we go um, we go as young as five. So basically kindergarten. Um, we do a little linksters program for five and six year olds, which is um, mostly herding cats. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that age is fine. Um, and a little bit of baseline. I mean, at five and six, how much can you understand about a life skill? But you, I could probably teach you that you need to respect your peers and raise your hand when you want to talk or reinforce something your teacher or your parents said. And so we find some really fun ways to kind of use some of the, as the kids get older, that, you know, those lessons become far more complex, but at a young age, it's, it's easy to help reinforce with kids something they're learning at school or at home anyway, hopefully. And um, Hey, like um, let's wait for somebody else to finish talking before you talk or raise your hand before you, you know, ask a question and um, respect for your surroundings. And so we're, we're not going to tear up the grass because we're not going to go rip the bulletin board paper off the wall in our hallway at school either. And so there's some really like easy ways mm -hmm. that we've kind of age appropriately gotten to that place for five and six year olds, but also kind of exposing them to golf in a way that um, we're not raising golf professionals. Like that's not necessarily first tease deal, right? You know, golf for, I would consider it a social endeavor for us as an organization is uh, we want you to have a good, healthy relationship with the game. And if you happen to become a great golfer and go play on tour or college or whatever, I'm pumped for you. And that's awesome. But it's a lifetime sport. Your son who is six, who doesn't currently have any interest in it. At some point in time, he may take a season with first team. He may or may not fall in love with it. And if he does great. And if he doesn't, maybe he comes back to it 10 years later. Yeah. Because yeah. he had some first tee class and he had, he had, there were great people. Everybody was really nice to him and kind of, hey, all these things are all he is, but also nonprofits are, right? Um, and all my coaches were cool. Like it was, it wasn't fun then, but my buddies are going to go play now that I'm in college and I want to go to join the same way I learned, right? And I'm going to go learn with them. And that was kind of like, that wasn't for me then, but everybody was always really nice when I went and it's pretty outside or whatever, right? I mean, whatever it takes, just giving them some positive experience along the way, whether they become a lifelong golfer from the start or they drop it for 10 years, 20 years and decide later in life is something they want to do. Hopefully what we've done is help them build a positive connection at whatever age with between golf, which is a very hard sport otherwise, and it can be very frustrating, as we've alluded to many times in this conversation. But we want to build that positive relationship with everybody with the game because we yeah. want people to the more people play the game, the better off we're all gonna be from a golf industry standpoint. No, no doubt. I am um, I have not developed this thought whatsoever. So it's probably gonna be all over the place. But um I believe every single person alive should learn golf. And yes, for the skills that you're talking about. But I also think just what a wonderful opportunity, at least be exposed to it, right? Because you might not fall in love with it, you might not want to do it. But like now at this point in my age, in my late 40s, golf is such a, it does so many different things for me. Yes, it's a sport. You can get out and get exercise, right? You can, you can compete against other people or yourself, right? You can compete against yourself if you want. There's the, the mental aspect of it. There's the business side of it. Like I do a lot of business on the golf course now. Sure. And so like any single person, no matter what you're your place in life is your businesses, your, 
occupation, I think there's so much that can be done from and with golf. Yes. Well, we couldn't, I couldn't agree more, or I don't think I'd still be doing this. What you just said is kind of the baseline for the entire existence we are as an organization. It's, it's yeah. quite okay. Yeah. All right. Good. Everybody, so I, so should I've been listening. Some, everybody should learn about golf, at least as a baseline. I love it's it. It's a fun game. It. It's challenging. It can teach you so much. Um, and I'm thankful to get to do this every day because um, as challenging as, you know, all the struggles I might have with my own golf game, it's always a healthy reminder that, um, just having that healthy relationship with the game is so important and enjoying the time, the business deals I get to close on the golf course or just getting to hang out with my buddies for a couple of hours yeah. when I don't get to see them otherwise. Right. I mean, it's, you know, especially as we get a little older, have kids and families and other obligations and running businesses or whatever, like my, you know, my closest friends or pe the people I don't see that often, but when I do see them, it's typically on a golf course. Like that's yeah. how we yeah. you know, we'll carve out two hours for nine holes or whatever and go, at least get to spend some time together catching up and how's the family, how's school going, whatever. And yeah. without the game, I'm not sure how like I've ever seen them. Yeah. Good point. You know, for me, I, um, uh, the way I've sort of lived my life and structure my calendar, if you will, is, is because we homeschool and my wife does 100% of that. And she's with our children all day, every day. They're um, learning right now. They are, <laughs> they are, <laughs> they are right now, hopefully. Um, but for, for me, you know, I try to structure my work day, even though I have the flexibility and the freedom to work whenever and however I want, but I try to approach my day much like a nine to five job so that I can clock out and I can be with my kids and I can be a present dad and be a present husband and be a part of that. And on the weekends when most working people would try to get out and play golf, I, I never play golf on the weekends anymore. I work it into a weekday routine. I try to get out once a day during the week and make that part of my work. But on the weekends, um, you know, I just don't get out to do it. Hopefully I'll get my kids out there. But what I do, what I am grateful for is in my neighborhood, we have a group of golfers in our neighborhood. There's probably 40 or 50. We have, a, I've lived in a massive neighborhood and uh, there's one guy that organizes it. And um, a couple of times a year, he'll put together a little mini tournament at our local course oh, here in fun. Wendell. And we okay. just did it last week that we did a par three, nine hole par three the, on the Wednesday of the masters. And oh, we, got, we probably had 10 foursomes together and went out there and had a mini little mini tournament. And we'll do that three or four times a year. And it's just fun. It's a great way to connect with new people in the neighborhood. I haven't met before and just really to enjoy this area where I live. And so one of my questions for you is, you know, I'm, I'm not exactly sure where in the triangle you live and that doesn't matter, but like, what are some of your favorite things to do around here? And why, why do you, I mean, granted you now are the CEO of this organization. So that probably keeps you hyper local here as long as you're in this role, but what are some other reasons why you stay here? Like you could live anywhere. Why do you stay in Raleigh? Um, what a great question. Um, I, I should I answer it first. My favorite thing to do is hang out at Tri Golf, and I can't wait for it to reopen so you can all hang out at Tri Golf. I, I think that's answered. <laughs> I want to be there as long as that that's little right. gizmo beer cart is back. I'm there. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, and so that's the other thing I was going to say is um, the craft beer scene is great, and like, so I, like and it's I guess it's exploded, and then I wonder if we'd reached the peak, but it seems like new things are opening all the time. But um, I think like the Raleigh vibe to me is very relaxed, very casual, kind of work hard but enjoy life and i feel like all the people i like the most who i get to work with are also people who have a great work-life balance and kind of have boundaries and all that stuff is great um, the craft beer scene is cool there are so many great hangouts and breweries and tap houses and tap rooms and gizmos awesome and it, you know and they just opened their second location in the triangle we went and checked that out a few weeks ago because oh nice um, i remember when they had gizmo had taps screwed into the uh cinder block walls they had that was many many moons ago but i've also been here long enough to remember when lone rider didn't have any locations and they had to 
basically pour beers with a five-gallon bucket catching the leftovers out of the bottom. Yeah, um, yeah. Before they built all that stuff they have over in Briar Creek. Um, and now I guess it's got Wake Forest and, and Five Point. So they've blown up. So there's so many great ones around the triangle. Um, so check out our craft brewery, any of them, a few of them, not all at the same time. You know, moderation's key to life. Um, <laughs> don't recommend that, but uh, but in all kinds of different parts of town too, right? So whether you're at Lone Rider or Gizmo, kind of northwest side, and it's a little more isolated, but it's quiet and you can relax. Or if you go down to like Five Points and you can walk to Lone Rider or Nickel Point, or there's like two or three more of there, I feel like. Um, to me, I feel like if you just kind of chase around the craft beer scene around town, you kind of get to see some really cool parts of, you know, Trophy just south of downtown and over by the fairgrounds is a yeah. really cool spot. And so there's so many... So if you like, you just put a little Raleigh or Triangle trail for craft beer, you might get to see a lot of really cool neighborhoods that have different vibes. You ask where we, we live out in Wake Forest, and there's cool places out there that are different and fun. Um, we almost moved to Wendell. That's, we, we're looking at two different places and chose Wake Forest, but um, only barely. So we were almost neighbors, and I could have been a part of your part three contest. Yes, that would have been fun. <laughs> so try golf first. Uh, to me, the craft beer scene is kind of cool because it gets you can kind of see so many different parts of town that way. Um, I think our park system and trail system is just phenomenal. And so we love to walk the dogs, whether it's on the Wakefield Trail in our neighborhood or go to Millbrook and do the Shelley Lake thing. Mm-hmm. Um over by NC's. I mean, there's just so many, like, we are so blessed with a green space around here relative no to a lot of other cities. And so for me, it's go check one of them out, all of them out. Um, so we really enjoy that. Just getting exercise, being outside. That was big yeah. for me too. When I moved here from Baltimore, you know, Baltimore, I was living in nope. the city. Right. And then when no I moved here, I was like, oh, there's trees. <laughs> Whoa, weird. There's also pollen. I wonder why my allergies yeah. weren't bad before I moved here, but it's because there's no trees in Baltimore. I think yeah. I never had allergies before 2007. <laughs> That's true. Uh, I was going to, one of the questions I was going to ask you was what's a reason why some people wouldn't move here. And that's usually my answer it, yeah. because my, my car is yellow and my nose is too, I think right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think like, so the green spaces are cool. Cause there's again, so many, and you can still see a lot of the cool parts of the triangle doing that too. It's like, get on the Raleigh Greenway website. It's so cool. Um, so I would say that, and I'd like to me, like the, the art museum, like there's so many different, like, I don't have children of my own. I think Marvel's Kids Museum is one of the coolest things around. Sure is. And and so like I have friends who were just here a few weeks ago who like spent the weekend in Raleigh. They did the art museum. They did the science. They did the science museum. And they went to Marvel's and they had a blast. They literally made a weekend out of just checking out some of the cool stuff. So I would add that to the list just because I think. I mean, this place gets, keeps getting rated so well. It's one of the best places in the country to live for a good reason, right? It's yep. We've got ample green space. We've got cool, fun nightlife and things to do socially on the weekends or whatever. And we've got great education and arts and so many, you know, the universities. I think if you're new here, and this is the one, this is probably the last one I'll say is, um, if you just spend a weekend just touring all the campuses for all the different universities from our the larger institutions everybody knows to the smaller HBCUs, there's so much interesting culture and opportunity like literally on those campuses whether you're in in north carolina central and near downtown durham or chapel hill or nc state or wherever duke obviously has so much um that'd be the last thing it's like hey come to town check out check out all the campuses kill a weekend just walking campuses and learning about the history of the area and some of the i mean the architecture some of it's just beautiful yeah for sure i'd I'd be an idiot if i didn't ask you this question if you're getting out to play nine or 18 where do you play Ooh, um, <laughs> at our new facility. <laughs> okay. it, it, when that opens, yes. Okay, but yes. Uh, if you're going to play this then, yes. weekend, uh, where are you playing? Uh, 
Good question. Uh, typically, wherever I can get a game, yeah. um, I will tell you that, um, and I I think I've played every course in the triangle at this point, which I'm, and I'm thankful for everything from Bull Chat. I'm kind of at one end of the spectrum to RGA, I guess, on the other end of the spectrum in terms of golf. Um, my favorite place just to go walk nine holes and hang out is probably like Pine Hollow over mm. kind of, so like kind of near Garner Clayton. Yeah. It's always, yeah. it's very affordable. It's always in great shape. Uh, the greens are always awesome. It's a nice walk. It's, challenge, it's certainly a challenging enough golf course where you kind of get to hit all the clubs in the bag. Um, so that plays pretty cool. I, it's hard to really pick one, but that one sticks out just because it's for bang for your buck to me. It's such a good, and now we just let the secret out. So the rates are going to go up. But, uh, <laughs> bang for your buck. I always enjoy getting to go out there and have some fun and hang out because it's, you're getting a quality golf experience for, you know, golf is an expensive sport and that we can't all afford to pay that. And so I'd like to go do something that, doesn't make me choke a little bit before I uh, swipe my credit card or debit yeah, card. Man. Yeah, so, uh, so Pine Hollow for me, I like it's fun. It's cool. There's so many. I mean, God, there's so many great golf courses around the Triangle. Um, I love Hope Valley in, in Durham. That's um, old Donald Ross, which means I love Raleigh Country Club because it's an old Donald Ross. Yeah. Uh, but there's you can't. I mean, you can. That's the cool thing about this area is you love you love golf. Just throw a nine iron in any direction, you'll hit another golf course. It's awesome. That's right. The university right. courses are all great. I mean, it's public or private. There's so many good golf options around here or drive an hour and go to Pinehurst. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, let me, let me you? ask you Wait, one... Tell me yours. If you're, if I had to tell you mine. Well, you know, um, I play yeah, Wendell. I play Wendell the most cause it's literally right down the street for me. It's, Which is super fun. Yeah. And it's fine, you know, for the money and for where it is and the condition it's typically in. Um, I, it's great. And so I'm, I'm, I'm a creature of convenience in everything I do. I everything. Like I won't eat lunch unless it's leftovers usually. <laughs> so it is like, it's gotta be easy for me in Wendell country club golf club is literally from my front door to the first tee is probably six minutes away. And oh, that's so perfect. that's a big one for me, but I also, um, I have not played it nearly as much as I want to, but I'm a big fan of Lonnie pool. It is a Lonnie beautiful pool course. Awesome. Yeah. The, the views from the 11th hole there. Some of the I best love that. So neat. You know, the views are a big thing for me. I, you know, I, when I lived in Colorado, I lived in Vail and I played Vail golf club. I played Cordillera, um, in, uh, in, um, in down a little bit further West from Vail. Um, I played some of the nicest courses out there and the views and just, uh, you know, it was the whole experience for me because I'm not that great of a golfer. So I want everything else to be really pretty. Right. <laughs> My swing's not going to be. <laughs> so oh, that's nice. So I like Lonnie pool for, for those reasons. Um, yeah. if you, let me wrap up here and ask you kind of one final question. If, if you had some friends, well, you just mentioned you had some friends coming into town. So, yeah. you know, next time you've got friends coming in, what are the top four or five things you would show them or have them go to, uh, to really get the, the best feeling, the vibe of the triangle? Is there anything that, I mean, outside of what you've said already, would is there any, or within those, would you hone in on any specific four or five of those for them to really get a good feeling here? Like say they're like, you know what, maybe I should move here, but I need to feel this out. Where do they go? Yeah. Um, I think the beautiful part about this community is that you can kind of get whatever you want, depending on what you're looking for. Um, and so like, if I were going to pick a few places, like almost specifically, because I think they're probably good, like microcosms of the larger community is I would pick, um, I'll start with your neighborhood. Because I think if you, and we, because we just had friends move here from New Jersey last fall and thought we sold them a house in your neighborhood. They're your neighbors. A beautiful house, beautiful neighborhood, little, like more spacious, more land great trail system, very convenient. There's a golf course right there. That little farmhouse cafe in your neighborhood is out of this world good. It's so I agree. Good. Um, so we take people there. Um, I think like we lived in North Hills for a number of years and that place is ever evolving and it's got more of a um, 
you know, by a very small scale, but like it's got a buckhead kind of feel, right? Yeah, yeah. I kind of feel like, right, and that's probably what's going to be 25 years from now. And so, like, yep. I like to take people to eat and drink there because um, it's fun and it's a different kind of more urban feel without being downtown. I was there this uh, morning. I, I think going to, um, so I think that. I think um, I really like Village District. I think that's got such a good mix of like new and fun mixed with like some really great hundred year old history of mm-hmm. Raleigh and what it was and kind of keeping some of that character. So you kind of get some of the old Raleigh feel in that neighborhood. Um, and then if you drive right around the corner, you can just drive down Hillsborough street and basically get a nice view of NC state's campus and see all of that. And the massive cathedral at the other end of the, I mean, that's, that's a cool part of town. Just get a lot of everything, right? You get students, you get old Raleigh, you get a lot of new and exciting stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so certainly downtown, I think it's on Fayetteville Street, Glenwood. Um, you know, the museums are down there. There's tons of good food down there. Um, well, I don't think I'm a foodie per se, but I think to me, like, you can tie food, good food and drinks and a nice experience to kind of help people understand, you know, it's not stuffy. Like, downtowns can be stuffy in other markets yeah. for sure, right? We've all experienced that. Um, I think our downtown is not that, which is yeah. nice. Um, so for me, it's, you know, it's pick a couple neighborhoods based on, you know, our neighborhood wakefield i like it's a massive neighborhood right with tons of you know and but within 10 minutes we've got multiple grocery stores and breweries and restaurants and it's kind of a cool thing it's just far enough away from the city where you know you get a suburban more suburban feel but um i really do like kind of that stretch between really midtown and, and five points and village district kind of to me is like a nice swath of all the different things that raleigh can be yeah i think you can get a great feel for our area in all those places you mentioned. And um, next time you're coming to the farmhouse in my neighborhood, you better hit me up. I'll, I'll I will. Yeah, we try to come out you. there once in a while just to eat because it's so delicious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Patrick, the chef there is amazing. We actually um, did a private dinner party at my house last year and he catered it himself. And it was oh, cool. amazing. It was, that's it awesome. was wonderful. So now the secret's out in the farmhouse too. That's right. But, yeah, um, great. So, so we can't buy tea times anymore. Now we can't, we will have room in the farmhouse for us. So we're just ruined we're, we're my old day. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, man, I appreciate you taking the time, Brandon. It's been a lot of fun chatting with you and uh, thanks for being part of the community here. Thanks for all the good work you're doing. I can't wait to get more involved and hopefully get my son over there and um, grab a beer with you at the farmhouse sometime soon. Awesome. Awesome. Nice to finally meet you, Chuck, and appreciate you having me on today. Yeah. If you've enjoyed this episode, please visit us at connectraleigh.com. The Connect Raleigh podcast connects you to the amazing people and places of Raleigh, North Carolina. Check out the show notes for more ways to connect with our guests and with Chuck. Be sure to rate this podcast, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're currently listening, share it, and leave us a review. Thank you for connecting with Connect Raleigh.